Welcome to Eat Blog Talk, where food bloggers come to get their fill of the latest tips, tricks, and insight into the world of food blogging. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll provide you with the tools you need to add value to your blog, and we'll also ensure you're taking care of yourself because food blogging is a demanding job. Now, please welcome your host, Megan Porta. Food bloggers, hey, are you looking for new ways to make money as a blogger? If so, we have got your back. We have launched an ebook called Conversations on Monetization. Inside this resource, we take your favorite podcast episodes about monetization and we put them all in one easy, accessible package. We threw a few exclusive interviews in as well. Friends, there are so many ways to monetize your food blog. Inside this ebook, we have interviews with success stories like Todd Bullock, Alyssa Brantley, Kelly McNellis, Jenna Carlin, and more. All of these examples have become successful through completely different monetization strategies. Whether you are a brand new blogger looking for your very first revenue stream, or you are a seasoned pro wanting to diversify, this ebook is for you. Go to eatblogtalk.com to grab your copy, and we can't wait to hear your success story with monetization. What's up, food bloggers? Welcome to Eat Blog Talk. This podcast is for you, food bloggers wanting value and clarity to help you find greater success in your business. Today, I am so grateful to get a little bit of time with Lucy Seligman from thanksforthemeal.net, and we are going to talk about the many careers and hobby options available to foodies. Lucy's love affair with Japan started when she was 15, when she ended up visiting Japan for the summer. She studied Japanese in Hiroshima, stayed in Tokyo's Olympic Village, and lived with a Japanese family in Okayama. Returning to the States, she told her family that she wanted to go back to Japan and it would be her major in college. No one believed her, yet that's exactly what she did. She spent her junior year abroad in Tokyo attending Waseda University and living with the Mitsui family. She was their 21st foreign daughter. Oh my gosh, wow. She got her degree from USC in Japanese and Japanese culture. Eventually, she married a Japanese national and ended up living in both Tokyo and Nagoya. In total, she has lived over 13 years in Japan and it remains her second home. Her culinary life in Japan included being a restaurant critic, a food historian and writer, the editor of Gochizo-sama, her culinary newsletter on Japanese cuisine, and the owner of her own cooking school, Lucy's Kitchen. She continues to love Japanese food and now cooks for her daughter, who is equally obsessed with Japanese food, especially street foods like yakisoba, okonomiyaki, and so on. Lucy just published her first cookbook, The Wonderful World of Osechi, Japanese New Year's Recipes. Lucy, oh my gosh, your bio was so interesting. I love all of that. It's such an amazing story. But before we get to your story, uh, we want to hear your fun fact. My fun fact is that I'm a closet British royalist. And I have been since I was uh, very young. Um, And actually, it was, I was going to major in British royal history before I switched to Japanese and Japanese culture. And sort of in alignment, everyone always comes to me when they have a question about British royalty or Japanese royalty. Um, And in alignment with that is uh, I was and am a diehard Downton Abbey fan and actually even had 
did a Downton Abbey high tea uh, when it was the TV show was on and people came dressed up in character. Oh, fun. Those are my two little kind of fun facts that I admit, you know, after uh, I get to know somebody. So you really do like immersing yourself in different cultures and you are obviously fascinated by different cultures. And I think that's really unique and really awesome. Um, just curious, have you watched The Crown? Well, of course. Uh, I mean, it, like the minute it, it I, I've watched all of it, I've rewatched it. Um, I don't know how many times I've seen The Queen. Uh, and, you know, it, it's, I think because it's so different from how I was raised. Uh, I grew up in Hollywood to a, a TV and film family. And, um, you know, growing up in the Hollywood Hills, my dad was a TV and film producer. And that was a very different life. But, you know, travel has always been a big part of my life since I was a kid. And that's how I ended up in Japan and how I ended up living in Paris for two years around the corner from the Cordon Bleu. So I love to travel. And of course, with our what's happening this year, it's very weird that I haven't been on an airplane this year. <sighs> I know it's such an unusual year, especially for those who really find passion in traveling. So, oh, I feel you on that. We love to travel as well. And I'm just like super intrigued by this story. So I want you to just dive into it. You have such a cool story surrounding food and how you got into cooking and specifically Japanese cooking. So why don't you just share your story with us? As as you mentioned, I went there the first time when I was 15. Then I went there again for my junior year abroad. But after I married and um, I was living in Tokyo and, you know, I had um, always loved cooking. Uh, you know, I can disclose because she's no longer with us. My mother, although she would have admitted it, was not much of a cook. And, uh, you know, I kind of took over cooking when I was 11 or 12. Um, I've always studied cooking, gone to classes, etc. So when I was in Tokyo, I started studying Japanese cooking. And of course, since I lived there and I wasn't living as an expat, I was living like a Japanese um, family. I spent you know, a lot of time, and I love to do it anyway, wherever I go, in supermarkets and going to restaurants. And um, I learned a lot of cooking from my then uh, mother and sisters-in-law. And um, I really immersed myself. So that's sort of how, in my 20s, I started Lucy's Kitchen in Japan. And because I'm bilingual, I taught... Um, Japanese housewives, as well as foreigners who lived in Japan who wanted to know how to cook perhaps regional or historical Japanese cooking or just, you know, down home cooking. But also I taught French cooking, Italian cooking, you name it. I was teaching it. And I taught um, in all, at many different places in Tokyo. And then I, when I moved to Nagoya, I taught as well. And sort of from that period, I approached the Japan Times, who is the biggest uh, English language um, publication in Japan, and said, how about I become your restaurant critic? And, you know, 
give me a budget and let me explore all the wonderful restaurants in Tokyo, whether Japanese or non. And when I travel, because I did a lot of traveling in Japan, I'll re do restaurant um, critiquing as well. And they let me. And I did that for a couple of years. And it was a wonderful experience, again, immersing myself in Japanese cuisine. Um, so, you know, a lot kind of happened during that period. As you briefly mentioned, I also started my newsletter, Gochso-sama, which uh, means thanks for the meal, which is the name of my blog right now. And it was another avenue for me to share my love of Japanese cooking and to make it approachable and for people to realize it's not just sushi or sashimi. You know, there's a lot more to it. So, you know, uh, of course, I think it's pretty obvious how much I love Japan, but I consider it my second home, even though I haven't lived there recently. It's just a big part of me. And um, ironically, my daughter uh, loves it as well. So thank God, because, you know, I cook a lot of uh, Japanese and other Asian uh, dishes like weekly, if not daily. So I love that you mentioned your blog and how it was just another avenue to express your love of cooking. I think that's the way that a lot of us start. Food bloggers love to cook, whether it's um, more generic recipes or something really specific like what you've launched into. So what piece of advice would you have given yourself back when you first started your blog? I came to the blog as a recipe developer, as someone who delves into the history of a dish or a cuisine and does food essays. I did not come to it as I'm not a food photographer um, and I'm not a techie. And I think what I've learned in the uh, three and a half years that I've done Thanks for the Meal is you can't be everything. Um, and my, um, my love or my passion is the recipes and the development of them and um, writing up recipes and cooking and, you know, finding the best uh, combination and telling people a little bit about the story of the recipe or the ingredient. So I've had to, and I know other, you know, food bloggers do, I've had to acknowledge that I can't do everything, uh, especially because it's not my only business. And I've brought in help as needed. Um, it takes a lot of passion, as you know, to uh, be in the food business in whatever way you are. And, um, and I've done, you know, I've taught, I've worked in restaurant kitchens. I've been a private chef, you know, I've obviously a writer, etc. cetera, um, restaurant critic. And you have to have a passion and a very clear vision of why are you doing whatever it is you do. So, um, and that kind of is, I always come back to that. You know, why am I doing thanks for the meal? And it's because I love Japanese food so much. And I want to share that love and enjoyment and excitement with my readers. That's it. I absolutely love that. And I love that your passion truly is the food. And as you were talking through that, I was thinking how some food bloggers have a passion for more of the photography side or 
maybe it's an element of food blogging, but it's not necessarily that recipe creation side, which is kind of interesting because it all comes back to the food. So you're saying find what it is that you're passionate about and focus on that and then perhaps um, outsource the parts that you are not passionate about and maybe not focus so much on the quality of those parts that you're not as passionate about too. Because I know food bloggers who like photography is not a passion for them, but they just run with it. They, they put out photos that maybe aren't, you know, labeled as quote, the best photos in the world, but they're okay with that because they love their recipes and they love other parts of it. Do you kind of agree with that? I mean, I do, you know, I, I'm the first to admit, I, I, one thing is I do kind of have a secret weapon, so to speak. Um, my college age daughter is, uh, a very, very gifted photographer. And when she is home, uh, she will take some of the photos for my blog or Instagram. I mean, ironically or sadly, she's been home since March because of COVID. So she's been helping me a lot more. I also use stock photos or if I have a guest blogger, they um, share their photos and get recognition for that. Um, I admire so much uh, food bloggers who are gifted in photography, but I'm not. You know, I've taken a few of the photos I've learned, a you know, a little bit, but it's not my strength. I love that you mentioned secret weapon because I think that we all need to find those little secret weapons that help us get by because we can't be everything like you mentioned earlier, Lucy. We can't do it all. So finding what your secret weapons are and tapping into them and utilizing those are so important in this world. And I just want to thank you for sharing your story because I was so inspired by that. What a cool story. And just hearing you talk through it, I can just tell that you're oozing with passion over the Japanese culture and their food and how amazing that your daughter too shares that love for the, their food with you. I mean, can you imagine if she was like, ew, no, that would probably be a bummer for you because you're so... Um, immersed in that. So I just really appreciate you sharing that with us. Oh, thank you. I know. I couldn't even imagine if she didn't like uh, Japanese food. Um, but thankfully, she does. She actually ended up studying Japanese for four years in high school. And for her high school graduation two and a half years ago, I took her to Japan. And it was absolutely incredible. Um, you know, she had a different take on Japan. I showed her what I loved, but she introduced me to lots of new things too. And I admit we spend a lot of time looking at Japanese food vlogs um, and, you know, exploring and planning what our next trip is going to look like. Oh, and it'll be so worthwhile, right? After this long wait of not being able to go oh, over there. I keep saying that to everyone who's like, oh, I can't believe I can't travel. I say, yeah, but think about how amazing it's going to feel when you do travel. It's going to be the best ever. Well, I love how you've taken one passion for a specific type of cooking and just turned it into multiple avenues of, I think you said those words, right? Like they were different avenues of ways to express your love for the cooking or something like that. So how much opportunity do you believe exists for foodie creators and that goes for business opportunities and hobbies, because you seem to have kind of nailed that and figured out how to explore different avenues. So how much opportunity do you believe is out there? I think it's endless. 
Um, I think that if you are passionate about food and there's a way that you love to express it, um, I think you can do anything. I mean, you know, when I started out in Japan teaching and writing and developing and, you know, doing all these things, I seriously never imagined that years later I would have my own blog, you know, have a Facebook page, um, write my first cookbook. I'm already planning my second, um, have Instagram, you know, have all these avenues um, as a food creator. And I think, you know, somebody might have like an incredible food product and um, run with that. I think ironically, I know I keep using that word because of COVID um, people actually have been able to myself included, take a pause and realize what's important or realize, wow, you know, I've had this idea in my mind for years. It's time to, to do it. Um, so I think it's endless. Uh, and I think it's a great way to explore your creativity and your love of food. So starting with a passion for food, which I believe most of us have, and we share that, and just taking that and maybe starting with one thing. So maybe starting with your blog. Right. And then I think that once you get started with one thing, it kind of opens up into other things. Like if you're blogging for a year or two, you might hear about someone making a cookbook and think, oh, that sounds really cool. That's interesting. And then maybe launching into that. So it's like you need to start with one little spot and then opportunities will open up before you, right? Do you kind of get what I'm saying? Absolutely. And uh, taking those small steps and thinking small in the beginning, you know, and acknowledging you can't do every single social media, you know, in the beginning and learning where your audience is. If you decide to do a food blog um, and learning what they're interested in step by step, you can grow. I hear that so often when I'm interviewing people from so many different perspectives and points of view starting small starting simple is really the way to go don't come into it with this grand idea that you're going to do everything and you're going to be an author and you're going to you know everything right away you come in with one simple idea and guaranteed you're going to have other ideas that will um, build up and create this you know delicious empire <laughs> however you want it to be but um, yeah I think that's such an important concept to wrap your head around is just being really simplistic with how you approach food blogging and just being a foodie creator in general. Absolutely. We tend to overcomplicate things, I think, and that's not how to start for sure. And you know, you don't have to start with an ornate blog or website. Um, just it's to me, it's just taking that first step and moving forward. And as you said, you know, opportunities or ideas will come to you as you lay the foundation of whatever food business or creation you're doing. Oh, I love how you worded that. What are some specific ways do you think foodie creators can monetize their content? And this to me, you know, I'm still learning. I think we all are, but you know, things like 
publishing, self-publishing a cookbook or an ebook, um, sponsored post, affiliate marketing. Um, I, if I see a company, and remember, I'm in a really specific niche about Japanese cuisine. If I see a food Japanese food company I like, I approach them. I find out if they do affiliate marketing or not. Um, I've done sponsored posts. Um, I, you know, establish a connection with them. Um, other digital products, you could sell your food products. You know, that's become very big because of COVID as well. I keep reading about, I'm here in the Bay Area, chefs who they've lost their job, but they've developed a food company. And they're doing that, you know, um, which I think is fabulous. The other area that's totally exploded, a lot of my foodie friends are doing are virtual cooking classes. And, you know, there's food gifts, there's creating food courses, there's writing for other publications, there's starting a YouTube channel. I mean, I think it only takes your imagination and love of whatever food creation you do. Um, I think it's endless. I completely agree. And we kind of came to this conclusion on eBlog Talk, like, I don't know, a couple months ago, we were reviewing some of our interviews from the pe previous year and realizing, oh my goodness, there are so many smart people who have figured out ways to monetize just from being a foodie creator. So we compiled all of those um, interviews that touched on monetizing into an ebook and came up with 600 pages of, oh I know, it's, I mean, it's insane. And the more we dove into it and we started actually reading through the transcripts of these interviews, somehow that brought more clarity to us. We were like, oh my gosh, there's so much information here and we're not tapping into all of this potential that's just sitting here before us. So we just knew that we needed to put it together. And as we looked at it more thoroughly, I mean, the options really are endless. Like you're saying, Lucy, you could go so many different routes and really make money in any different ways. So yes, I am with you. You, you touched on a few of our favorites. So self-publishing, affiliate marketing, if there's something that aligns with your brand that you know would be a really good product or service. I love what you did. You just reached out and said, hey, do you have an affiliate program? I, I really like this brand. Do you do affiliate marketing much or just on a limited basis? Um, I have. So, you know, I have um, one for cookbooks. Um, I'm exploring share a sale. That's sort of a new one for me. Um, in the last couple of months, I have uh, a Japanese food product company in Japan um, that some of my specialized ingredients I'm, I'm trying as well. I mean, I'm fairly small as because of my niche in my food blog. But what I realized this year is, as you said, um, kind of focusing in on the ones I use and that are important to me and letting my readers know about them. Um, and, uh, you know, I may add one more. Um, one of the issues, and this might be for some other food bloggers, but hopefully it's temporary, is that um, a lot of the shipments from Japan, like other countries, have slowed down. And I think that's might be why 
a lot of people aren't using some of my sites at the moment. But, you know, that hopefully knocking wood will change with the vaccine coming out and people being more mindful. So uh, it's an area I want to explore more. Um, and believe me, I'm getting your ebook because I need to educate myself too. Yeah, it's a process. It's not something that you can just hear somebody talk about and say, oh, I know exactly what I want to do. It's like we talked about earlier. I think you've just got to get your foot in the door with one thing and see how that feels and then move forward with other things. I also, exactly. yeah, I also wanted to touch on the virtual cooking classes because you talked about how that was like a new thing with COVID. It's so popular and agreed. I started doing those this year. Um, I think in September was my first one. People are all over these and you can start so simple with that too. You can do a simple Zoom meeting, have people pay you $10, $20 and just test it out with like five people. Start out with family members or friends and that way you also hone your videography skills and how you are in front of the camera. So I think that one is going to absolutely explode. It already is, but even more so in the coming year. So I love that you touched on that. Yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, I haven't done it. I've only done in-person classes. Um, It's kind of in the back of my mind, but, you know, at the moment I'm more focused on building up my blog and my cookbook, et cetera. But I think it's a great, Avenue. Yeah, a great option for sure. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So for foodies who solely create for a hobby, because I know there are some people out there who don't necessarily want to launch into this as a business yet, and they're just focused on it as a hobby. What are some ways for them to express their creativity using food? Well, what I did before I started Thanks for the Meal is I did a number of family cookbooks. And uh, it was a great experience because I gathered uh, recipes and photos and kind of little stories. How did this recipe become part of your family from um, family and friends, you know, all over the world? I used at the time Tastebook for both of the cookbooks that I developed. But of course, now there's so many other options. It's also, to me, um, a way to keep family recipes living for the next generation. And it's something in print and it can also be digital. And um, I refer to the two, two cookbooks, family cookbooks I did, you know, all the time when I'm cooking family treasures and uh, so do my sibs and now my nieces and nephews. So I think that's a, a great way to, um, Put, put your toe in the, you know, put your foot in the door. Uh, it's not a huge investment. You'll end up with a product, which, you know, is something to be very proud of and also to share with family and friends. Um, that's how I got started again, actually. I love that idea. I never would have thought to say that, but it is, it's a good way to get something in your hands that you created outside of a blog and also to provide value to people. So if you're creating a cookbook with your family recipes, everyone in your family is going to love that. And then I also had a third thought. It could also inspire you to traditionally publish a cookbook down the road, maybe having it in your hands is super inspiring and you're 
pumped to see something else come to life like that. So that's such a great way to start. I would never would have thought to say that. The other thing is, is if you have never done anything, it also will make you learn how to be consistent about writing a recipe, um, you know, how to how to visualize and write a recipe and making sure if someone read this recipe, could they make your dish? I mean, I think there's so many things you can learn from it. Um, and, uh, you know, I was very lucky that even though my mother wasn't a great cook, she had some special dishes and I was able to get them written down before she died. So now I have them and now the next generation has them. And that's really special, you know. Yeah, people really place importance on family recipes, especially especially when it's something grandma made and she's not around anymore. But you've got her handwritten recipe. Just to put that in a book that you know is never going to get lost is so valuable for so many people. What is your main takeaway? So your number one thing that you would tell bloggers listening who Gosh. want to diversify um, income streams through their love of food? That's a great question. I mean, I think for me, you know, what I did, uh, my ebook, my paperback, my cookbook as a passive way to, to earn income um, ongoing. You know, it's not just a seasonal thing. Um, That to me has been the most important aspect and why I'm already uh, thinking about what's my second book for next year. Um, Everyone is different, but that that's kind of the main takeaway. The other takeaway in a way is networking and um, getting to know other bloggers and joining Facebook groups, um, joining professional groups of, you know, whatever field you're in or whatever you're focusing on, um, and being really consistent about it, uh, whatever you decide to do, being consistent and being um, focused on Great advice. And before we talk about your cookbook, because I want to hear a little bit more about that, where do you see yourself in five years, Lucy? Um, I see the blog still continuing. Um, maybe I'm not running it on a day-to-day basis. Someone else's, I see myself doing more, um, food essays, uh, which is kind of because I'm such a history nut. I see myself doing that. Um, I probably, and I occasionally do this will have branched out into other Asian cuisines because even in Japan, the influences of Chinese cuisine or Italian or Korean is still there. Um, I probably will have a couple more books under my belt Um, and probably if not in person, I will have uh, been doing more uh, cooking classes perhaps because I love to teach and, um, you know, I, I taught for so many years. I can see myself doing that, um, not full time, but definitely making that part of my kind of food love of Japan. 
Isn't it fun thinking ahead that far and just kind of spelling out a few things that you definitely want in your working life? And it's fun to think about, hmm, I wonder how that will transpire. I wonder how that will unfold. It's just kind of exciting for me to do that every once in a while. So I like asking people that question. I think that's a great question because we're so immersed in what's going on now, you know, uh, or what, you know, we need to get the blog out or whatever. Um, That's great. I never even thought about that. So I'm going to write this down after we're done to remember and remember. Yes. Wonderful. Thank you. Oh, I love it. Yes. Well, I Definitely want to hear more about your cookbook. I'm so intrigued by it. So why don't you tell us the title and what's in it and what we can expect if we purchase it? I had been married for two years, two weeks and uh, came back from my honeymoon. I was in Tokyo. It was the end of the year and I was uh, in the kitchen with my mother-in-law and sister-in-laws learning how to cook osechi which is Japanese New Year's cooking. And it is the foremost, most important food festival celebration um, tradition in Japan. And it started in the Heian era back in 784. I mean, it's gone on for many, many, many years. Um, It was a wonderful culinary bridge and kind of celebration of my new Um, adopted culture. And to this day, the special year-end rituals and traditions surrounding Osechi and surrounding Oshogatsu, which is Japanese New Year's, which runs from January 1st to January 3rd, has continued. Uh, The wonderful world of Osechi Japanese New Year's recipes, which I wrote, was because Every year I celebrate Japanese New Year's by cooking osechi. And it's kind of a whole process. Uh, My daughter and I go shopping at, we're very lucky because there's a number of very good uh, Japanese markets in our area. We have our big shopping list. We plan our menus from December 31st through January 3rd. And we go shopping together and we, um, get the sort of special foods of making a a more streamlined um, osechi. It's not as ornate as it might be if we lived in Japan, but the, the foods for the most part and the dishes are fairly simple. Um, Actually, you could think of it as um, Japanese tapas, a lot of small uh, cold dishes that are put in beautiful jubako, which are tiered, you could think of it as ornate uh, bento boxes. And these are served on January 1st and then filled up as they diminish. The only hot dish during this period is a dish called ozoni, which is a hot uh, soup that's very regional or even house to house based that uses um, pounded rice cakes, mochi. And each year we pick what area or what town or what special ozoni we want to have to um, celebrate. And kind of, I know I'm, there's so many different foods and they all have different symbolic meanings. But the other thing that's kind of fun is you 
end New Year's Eve, uh, if you were in Japan at midnight with Toshikoshi Soba, and it is soba noodles are long. So it's called Years Passing Soba or um, Good Luck for the New Year. And I make a very simple uh, soy-based dashi stock. Um, it's Tokyo style with, to with chicken and Japanese um, leeks, negi. And it's what you eat as the old year ends and the new year begins. Um, again, I think it's a lovely tradition. And um, it's a wonderful way to sort of get to know, in this case, Japan and what they do for New Year's. Literally, the whole country closes down. Uh, businesses are closed. Families reunite if they don't live together and they celebrate um eating osechi and just being together for these three days so their new year tradition is basically what the whole world has gone through in 2020 <laughs> everything shuts down and we spend time together <laughs> exactly and you know what's interesting is of course i uh, i keep looking every day the mark our japanese markets are still open you know but that could change because our county is in bad shape um, and will adjust as I know they will in Japan if you can't get everything or modify or simplify. But the concept of being together and um, releasing the old, you know, and bringing in what hopefully will be a much better year for the world. I love that concept. I've actually never liked American New Year's Eves and that whole part. I, I prefer this. Well, that fits in so well with our current situation, releasing the old and starting anew and welcoming in different, new, hopefully better things. So I think this aligns very well with uh, going into 2021. So where can we find your cookbook? How many recipes are in it total? And is there anything else you want to say about it? My cookbook, uh, which once again is The Wonderful World of Osechi, Japanese New Year's Recipes. I have a paperback and an ebook version. They're sold on um, Amazon. Uh, wow, there's definitely 20, 25 recipes and kind of a little bit of the history of uh, what Osechi is and how to create your own Osechi using... You don't have to have bento boxes, but each tier has a different meaning um, and sort of and photos as well. So you can get a sense of what it looks like and some of the other uh, rituals and traditions and New Year vocabulary that is used during this period. Um, it's I would say. Don't be scared. Don't be fearful. Uh, most of the recipes are with a little uh, planning and, you know, doing your shopping in advance are quite easy to make. And of course, um, and I've heard from others, delicious and uh, a new kind of, maybe it can become or become part of a new tradition of how to ring in a new year for, for your uh, viewers and listeners. I love that. And everything you were describing sounded so delicious. I love Japanese food. It's just so different from what we 
eat over here. So any chance I get to eat Japanese Japanese food, I'm all over it. I was drooling through all of your descriptions. So <laughs> thank you for going through those. And is there anything else about your cookbook or was that pretty much all you wanted to say, Lucy? I think that's um, pretty much what I wanted to say. Uh, you know, the book goes into more detail, but um, have fun with it. You know, try something new, even pick one dish and go from there. But uh, it's just a wonderful way to connect with another culture, which, you know, in my case is Japan. Um, but there, every culture has sort of special things that they do um, at the end of the year or eat or drink. And this is Japan's. It's nice to get out of our culture once in a while and immerse ourselves in what other people are doing, I think. It's refreshing, and I think we all need refreshing this year, so I love this as inspiration. Well, Lucy, it was so much fun to talk to you today. Thank you so much for being here and sharing all of this value with food bloggers. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you. Oh, thank you so much. I've had a blast. Before you go, I like to sh ask my guests to share either a favorite quote or words of inspiration. Do you have anything to share with us? I'm looking at everything I wrote. I think I'll leave you with this because we talked about another culture. You learn a lot about someone when you share a meal together. Anthony Bourdain. I totally agree. I mean, that's what I do. I'm basically sharing a meal with my readers every time I post a blog or through my cookbook. That is such a great way to end. Thank you for sharing that. And Lucy, we will put together a show notes page for you and everything that we've talked about today. If anyone wants to go check that out, you can find it at eatblogtalk.com forward slash thanks for the meal. Lucy, tell my listeners the best place to find you online. So you can reach me through my blog, which is thanksforthemeal.net. Um, and I welcome uh, your comments or if you have questions about Japanese cuisine, you can send me an email uh, through my blog. Um, I look forward to hearing. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Lucy, for being here. And thank you for listening today, food bloggers. I will see you next time. We're glad you could join us on this episode of Eat Blog Talk. For more resources based on today's discussion, as well as show notes and an opportunity to be on a future episode of the show, be sure to head to eatblogtalk.com. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll be here to feed you on Eat Blog Talk.